From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. The war in Ukraine seems to have brought us closer to nuclear war than anything since the Cuban Missile Crisis. So let's talk with someone who has dedicated her life to trying to prevent just that thing. Emma Belcher is the president of the Plowshares Fund, and for years your group has been trying to eliminate nuclear weapons. What options do we have, though, when you have someone like Vladimir Putin who is openly talking about using uh, tactical nukes? What, what leverage do we have besides having our own nuclear weapons? Well, you're absolutely right that we're at a really dangerous point right now in times that we haven't really seen for the last 60 years since the Cuban Missile Crisis. And we've seen nuclear weapons really pierce the public consciousness in a way that we haven't seen um, after the Cold War and we were lulled into a false sense of complacency. It really, I think, most people thought that nuclear weapons went away at the end of the Cold War, but as we're seeing and just you're pointing out now, they've sort of come back with a vengeance and we have in Russian President Vladimir Putin somebody who really wants uh, to change the history and the narrative around Russia and is trying to use his nuclear weapons uh, to um, change the position of Russia in the world. So we've seen that Putin has used nuclear threats to invade a sovereign country, to enable war crimes, to uh, bring about a humanitarian crisis, and has even impacted the global economy, as uh, many of us around the world, including here in the US, are really feeling. So what the problem is right now is the 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 primacy of nuclear weapons um, in helping, or Putin's hoping they will help him achieve his aims. So we're at a really difficult point. And I think, as you rightly point out, the potential for nuclear use is quite high. So um, then the question you ask is, you know, what can we really do about this? Well, right now, at this time, we need to do whatever we can, not only to support Ukraine in a way that brings about a favourable outcome for Ukraine, but we need to make sure that we're not... um, by supporting, in the way we're supporting Ukraine, inadvertently pushing Putin into a corner uh, so that he feels that he needs to use these nuclear weapons. So right now, what we at my organisation, Plowshares, are doing is focusing on preventing nuclear weapons use. That is the first order of business now. And hopefully if we get to a point and we get through this crisis, we're really able to sit down and say, How can we prevent ourselves from ever coming so close to potential nuclear war and Armageddon as we have right now? And that's when we bring the best and the the brightest minds together to really solve this problem of nuclear threat once and for all. I think that there are uh, two distinct generations when it comes to nuclear threats. There are those, uh, Dave, I think your generation remembers doing those uh, nuclear bomb drills in school, and it was a real right. threat. It was it was very scary. We liken it to the threats we face today with climate change and, and all of that, and active shooters for kids today. But back then, it was nuclear weapons. And I'm curious, for the generation today who didn't have those drills, Do we have more nuclear weapons today? Is the threat higher today or is it not as bad as it seems in the news headlines? Well, you're absolutely right uh, in that it's a very different time that we're in now than at the heart of the whole war with the uh, nuclear weapons uh, duck and cover drills. Um, And I think now 
we actually have far fewer nuclear weapons than we did at the height of the Cold War. So at that point, there were between 60 and 70,000 nuclear weapons, the vast majority, over 90%, possessed by the US and the Soviet Union. And at the end of the Cold War, we managed to engage in mutually beneficial action in negotiations and agreements to reduce the weapons now to around 13,000. Oh. So that's dramatically down. It is dramatically but, down. 13,000 yeah, still but a lot. Yeah, that still is enough to destroy the world several times over, right? Yeah, but progress, uh, you have to acknowledge uh, that. Right. So if we all of those nuclear weapons were used, and even a fraction of those nuclear weapons would use, we would change civilization as we know it. So 13,000 is still far too high. And the problem is, for the first time now, we are seeing a trajectory of countries increasing their number of nuclear weapons that's projected over the next decade. So we're really at an inflection point. And what we do now in response to Putin threatening to use nuclear weapons and to invade a sovereign country, what we do in response is going to be consequential for our future safety and security and making sure that we take everything down many notches so that we're not dealing with this kind of threat again. Okay, but you see why nuclear weapon use or the attempt to acquire nuclear weapons is going up because if if Ukraine had had a viable nuclear force... Would Russia have invaded? I mean, that's the that's the thinking of these countries. I think is Iran is probably thinking the same thing. The reason Iraq got invaded and not Iran is that Iran has a, I guess, a better nuclear weapons threat to put it that way than than Iraq did. And uh, well, how do you get around that? Yeah, I think if we look at Ukraine, it's a little bit of a misnomer to say that if Ukraine had kept its nuclear weapons, it would have prevented invasion by Russia. It really didn't have the option of keeping its weapons. And the uh, arsenal it had really did belong to uh, Russia. They were controlled from Moscow. And really, the United States and Russia would never have allowed Ukraine to have kept its nuclear weapons at that point when it um, gave it up. Um, there are some people who argue that Russia would have invaded Ukraine far earlier uh, to um, take back its nuclear weapons. So, But the fact remains that for many, uh, nuclear weapons really are perceived to bring about a certain amount of power. You know, we see what Putin's done even without detonating a nuclear weapon, right? So he has threatened to use them and we've seen him able to invade a sovereign country, war crimes impact the global economy. And this is really problematic. So it's incumbent upon the US and uh, the international community to be able to make sure that the lesson from this crisis is not that nuclear weapons are beneficial to either invade other countries or to prevent invasion yourself, um, but that nuclear weapons are seen as the liability that they are that bring us all much closer to potential for something to go wrong. We worry about miscalculation, misunderstanding, and uh, use of nuclear weapons by accident. Even one done by accident could then spiral into a nuclear war and Armageddon, as President Biden has warned about recently. Now, the U.S. and Iran close to another nuclear deal. How um, is entering a new deal beneficial to the world order, I suppose, not just the U.S.? Well, this is a really complicated moment. As you see, the um, protests in Iran um, after the killing of mm -hmm. uh, a young woman um, who uh, 
was was in trouble with the morality police and the uh, protests that have been sparked since then. I really do think that right at this moment, um, getting back to the Iran nuclear deal is really not on the table um, specifically right now. And that's for understandable reasons. But in the long term, it is going to be critical to make sure that the US and Iran can come to the table and to agree to really set back Iran's nuclear program uh, in a way that we have much more warning if Iran did decide to develop a nuclear weapon. So far, there's no intelligence, uh, both the head of the CIA um, in the United States uh, has uh, reiterated that there doesn't seem to be um, any indication that Iran has decided to create a nuclear weapon. But what's imperative now is that we make sure that we get international inspectors back in, make sure that we um, are able to remove the material that Iran was able to develop since the Trump administration withdrew, to make sure that that's taken out of the country, to really set back Iran's capability to develop a nuclear weapon. That is in our ultimate national security interest. And as we've seen what Putin's been able to do with his weapons, the last thing we want is more countries to have nuclear weapons and for us to potentially end up in a really dangerous situation. If Vladimir Putin were to use what we call a, uh, a tactical nuclear weapon, what should our response be? And explain for us, please, what a tactical nuclear weapon is. They sound like, you know, sort of the fun size, but uh, they're they're pretty they, devastating, right? They are. And I think you've put your finger on this, is that as people talk about nuclear weapons and tactical nuclear weapons, there's often a misunderstanding about what they are. People think that they're small. Now, tactical nuclear weapons can have a very low yield, Um and they can have a very high yield. And it's really the way in which you're using the nuclear weapons that uh, means uh, they could be determined or defined as tactical or strategic. Now, in terms of the range of tactical nuclear weapons, there are some that would be the same size as a Hiroshima or Nagasaki mm. size yield of 15 kilotons. Now, that might be small compared to the massive thermonuclear weapons that um, that we have today, but they're hardly very small and the destructive power is enormous. So it's important to keep in mind that the use of a tactical nuclear weapon by Russia isn't going to be just a small sort of um, thing that nobody is 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 going to really have to have to worry about. You know, this is hugely consequential. A nuclear weapon has not been used. Uh, in uh, over 70 years. And if he used this, it would be really breaking a taboo against use. So a huge big deal. Now, you asked me about what the options are in terms of if Putin were to use a nuclear weapon. So it's going to vary in terms of what size yield he might use, how he might use it. Is it a demonstration uh, detonation over the Black Sea somewhere? Or is it use of a nuclear weapon against um, Ukrainian military uh, installation? Uh, or is it the use of a nuclear weapon against a civilian facility? And we've certainly seen Putin target civilians uh, in this war so far with conventional means. So there are a range of responses. I think the worst thing the United States could do is respond with a nuclear weapon because that would be catastrophic 
in terms of then escalating and uh, likely resulting in uh, retaliatory strikes from um, uh, Russia with a nuclear weapon, spiralling into nuclear war and Armageddon. So not only would it be devastating, but it'd be counterproductive. It wouldn't achieve our aims. So the best thing the US could do is respond um, by uh, increasing um, crippling sanctions in a way we haven't been able to do so far. You'd have China and India. You'd want to corral them to help with the sanctions. And I do believe they don't see Putin using a nuclear weapon as in their interest. I do believe they would be willing to come to the table on crippling sanctions there. You'd want to do launch cyber attacks to make sure that Russia couldn't really be operating its military. You'd also consider conventional strikes using conventional weapons. But each one of these options conventionally um, raises a certain risk that you might get retaliation and escalation from Putin that gets out of control. So the three options here conventionally would be to provide Ukraine with more conventional uh, materials, different kinds of systems we haven't provided so far so they could uh, attack Russia. The US might also launch a conventional attack against Russian forces inside Ukraine, or it might also use conventional forces to strike a military target inside Russia, um, potentially the facility that launched the nuclear strike in the first place. Now, all of these, they are kind of higher level responses each time, um, but they come with their risks of things getting out of control. So the challenge here that's critically important is we must support Ukraine and get a favourable outcome to this situation, but without pushing Russia into the position where it feels it has to use its nuclear weapons, it's got no option. And we need to send a signal to everybody else watching that nuclear weapons use is completely unacceptable. This may or may not be a short answer, but given where Putin is today and considering the past and his motivations and his war in Ukraine, is he more capable today of using those nuclear weapons than ever before? Well, that's a hard question to answer because I can't get inside mm-hmm. Putin's head. But we know him well. Just, we, we've been yeah. adversaries with him for decades. We know his moves, and he's never made that move before. But it seems more than any time in the past, he's in a very desperate, cornered situation. Well, and I think the problem is that um, we are seeing a Putin who is increasingly making what we might consider irrational decisions. Mm -hmm. So his decision to invade Ukraine in the first place, thinking that Kiev would topple pretty easily, uh, that didn't pan out. Uh, He also thought that um, this would divide the US and NATO. That didn't pan out either. And the response uh, has been real unity. And so I think the concern here is that we are banking on Putin being a rational actor and making the calculation that launching a nuclear weapon isn't in his interest. Hopefully that logic's going to hold. And that's why you see um, President Biden and uh, others really out there sending messages both to uh, the Kremlin privately, but also um, publicly to say, if you use a nuclear weapon, it will be catastrophic for Russia. So trying to send that signal that you, you must not do this or the consequences will be dire. Now, we just have to hope that Putin 
takes that and hears it and doesn't act in a way um, that potentially is self-destructive and really destructive for the rest of the world. So far, the United Nations seems to have been completely ineffective. Is there anything else that it could do? It's really challenging because this is the type of crisis for which the uh, United Nations uh, needs to be able to respond. And what we're seeing here is obviously with Russia as uh, one of the permanent five members of the Security Council, um, there are real constraints here. But I think the 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 sentiment that we've seen and the expressions um, from uh, the General Assembly and countries within the United Nations uh, have been right. Um, and I think what we'll have to do is think about um, what happens after this crisis, because this is a big challenge to international norms um, that have really been developed since the end uh, of World War II and that the United Nations is is championing. What does it mean to have a permanent five member invade another country uh, with the nuclear threat? And how can we say it is unacceptable um, to be uh, damaging um, and flouting these norms? Well, kick them off the Security Council. Can that be done? Well, I think there are a lot of people probably looking right now to see how that could be done. But I think it's very complex that people have been talking about Security Council reform for a long time. And you would think that if any moment is the time to really be able to focus on that, it would be now. And if Putin used a nuclear weapon, you would you would certainly hope that that would be part of the conversation. Um, but the power structures as they are today, with uh, Russia being a permanent five member of the Security Council, make that seem, you know, um, quite challenging, to say the least. Emma Belcher is the president of the Plowshares Fund. Uh, thank you. You have a you have a tough job. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity to talk about this issue and just know that at Plowshares, we are really corralling the best and the brightest in this scary time to solve these problems so that we don't keep coming to the brink of nuclear uh, Armageddon ever again. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast and you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in. 